Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey everybody, it's Dan and welcome to our Tuesday edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. It's the Hey Mary Kay edition of the podcast. And of course, our Football Insider subscribers had questions about the Super Bowl, about the Browns quarterback situation, about Odell Beckham Jr. and Mary Kay Cabot. And I get into all of those on today's podcast. If you want to become a Football Insider subscriber, it's cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up as we're about a month away here from the start of the new league year and things are going to start happening. You're going to want to be a Football Insider subscriber so you can get that daily newsletter delivered to your inbox. You can become one of our text subscribers, which is where we draw our Hey MK questions from and more. And of course, you can get access to stories on cleveland.com that are exclusive to our Football Insider subscribers. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns, the blue banner at the top of the page, get info, get signed up. And now our Tuesday Orange Brown Talk podcast. And here we go on our Hey Mary Kay edition of the Orange and Brown Talk podcast. Our Football Insider subscribers sending us in questions. And Mary Kay, I'm going to fire them at you here. And let's just start with our buddy Paul Spencer. Uh, newly unblocked in New York City, and he's got a question about how the Browns might approach going after a quarterback. He says, hey, Mary Kay, I'm curious to get your take on what a Browns quarterback search might look like if Andrew Barry is talking to teams like the Vikings or the Raiders about a possible trade, even if those scenarios are unlikely. Is there any way he can avoid word getting out? And if word does get out, what does your cut tell you about how Baker and his team are likely to react? I thought this one was interesting, Mary Kay, because if the Browns are going to do something with the quarterback position, they're probably already looking into it, even though the new league year, as we're recording this on Monday, the new league year starts about a year, a month from now, um, that this process would have already started. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at. Absolutely. 100%. That is very true. Uh, knowing that there will possibly be some quarterbacks available, some veterans available, they already will have had to be doing their due diligence and maybe even inquiring about some, uh, you know, sort of maybe through unofficial back channels, because, you know, you're not necessarily supposed to be, uh, doing some of that stuff right now, but, uh, but Jimmy Garoppolo for one, is someone that has sort of been given permission to seek a trade. So uh, that one is out there at this point. And then again, as you mentioned, there are others, Kirk Cousins, Derek Carr, uh, Aaron Rodgers, possibly Russell Wilson. These are all names that have been bandied about and all quarterbacks at the Browns uh, will be sort of obligated in some ways to check into in terms of uh, possible trade potential. So um, yeah, I'm sure that they have already 
um, had made some inquiries. I'm sure that that's happened with the league year opening next month. And if you remember, of course, back to the Matt Stafford, Jared Goff trade, that happened at the end of January. Now that the Super Bowl is over, I think things are going to start to heat up a little bit in terms of what is going to happen with these veteran quarterbacks and the dominoes will begin to fall. Uh, so I absolutely wouldn't be surprised if they have made uh, some preliminary inquiries. And if Baker Mayfield finds out about those, he's not going to be happy. He definitely will not be happy about that and neither will his camp. So there will be discussions. There will be every effort made to keep those things under wraps until something would get close to happening. But we know all know how those things go. If an agent, for instance, wants to drum up more interest in a player from other teams, uh, you know, someone in their camp might let out a little bit of information that team A or B is interested. Uh, so over the next few weeks, we will be probably hearing about some things here and there. And, uh, and I do think that things will start to heat up a little bit. Now, with some of the new coaches that have been hired, it seems like the chances of some of those quarterbacks remaining with their current teams have increased, such as Derek Carr with the Raiders and Kirk Cousins with the Vikings with Kevin O'Connell and Derek Carr with Josh McDaniels. But there is that other factor we've talked about, and that's money. I mean, you know, Derek Carr is going to be looking for an extension. If he doesn't get what he wants from the Raiders, they will start to look around and maybe ask to be traded. So, um, so these are all things to watch. Now, as far as Baker and his camp is concerned, if it seems like it's going to be getting close and the Browns do have a bona fide opportunity to acquire a veteran quarterback who will clearly be the new starter, 100%, they will have a discussion about Baker trading Baker Mayfield. I mean, that's just how it's going to go. Um, you know, in, in, there is some world in which he could come back, but I doubt it. I mean, if they have a new uh, quarterback here, they will ask to be traded or the Browns will talk to them about, Hey, let's all see what we can find. So there aren't too many great options, but um, even if there are a few, the Browns owe it to themselves and to everyone else, to their fan base to kick the tires and, and I'm sure they will. Yeah. It's, it's just strange timing because a lot of these quarterbacks that we've mentioned are, they either have new coaches coming in and if you're a new coach, you hate to give up on a quarterback. It, it almost, I guess, I guess it feels like we're a year away on some of these guys, right? Like sometimes it happens where you, where you show up and you're like, okay, we're going to roll with this guy. And it's sort of that shotgun marriage between coach and quarterback. And you realize, you know what, this isn't going to work. So I don't know, maybe that's how the Browns are looking at this too. Maybe they're, they're going to try, but I, I don't know. The more I've thought about it, unless one of those really big names becomes available or unless they fall in love with somebody in the draft, it might be really hard to go a different direction. Yeah, I think it's going to be hard to go in a different direction. I really do. Because I, you know, now there are more jobs open for starting quarterbacks. You know, since uh, the season ended, Tom Brady decided to retire. Ben Roethlisberger officially retired. Uh, so there are more teams looking for quarterbacks and it's not a good year for that. It's just not the competition will be fierce and it's not a good year for quarterbacks really necessarily coming out in the draft next year is the year that everybody will be 
scrambling to get one of those really good quarterbacks that are coming out in 2023. This year, there are a couple of, of good quarterbacks that you might be able to work with, but you have to decide, do you want to take the risk and spend your first round pick on a guy like that? That is sort of a, take a flyer on a guy. That's kind of a high pick to do that with. Uh, so yeah, that's why this, this is such a pivotal next two, two months for the Cleveland Browns, because they have to figure this out. They have to know who their quarterback is going to be. And if it's going to be Baker Mayfield. And I mean, it seems right now, like there's a pretty good chance of that. Uh, then they have to figure out how to make everything better around him so that he can function more successfully. Okay, a Baker question. This comes from Megan in Pittsburgh. Hey, Mary Kay, how much stock can we put in the fact of, ba- of how Baker looked in 2021 like he did at the end of 2020 in the short period before he got hurt? So I guess in those five quarters. I'd love to see that as an indication that is it that that's the real Baker, but that Baker also threw a pick instead of a game-winning drive in week one. So pre-injury Baker looking a little bit like 2020 Baker, how much stock do you put in those five quarters, as opposed to the however many games, 14, 15 games after the injury? Well, there are a couple factors at play here. And number one is the fact that uh, they played some inferior defenses down the stretch in 2020. Uh, Also, teams did not really have much film yet on Baker Mayfield and the Kevin Stefanski offense. Defenses hadn't really been able to dig in there and figure out how to slow him down or stop him. And teams were not, they were just on the cusp of sort of figuring out how to solve the play action rollout game. And they've gotten better at that. Uh, So, you know, it it seemed like every time you looked out there, he was able to roll out, have all the time that he needed. Well, defenses started to take that away. And we wondered that a lot over the off season. What, what are defenses going to do to Baker Mayfield once they have the film on him and have a book on him. So that's number one. Number two, when you look at those first two games uh, of this season, and I think that we forget about this. I mean, we all think, oh, it was the Kansas City Chiefs, you know? Well, the Kansas City Chiefs were not anywhere near the defense that they were mid-season to the end of the season. They were one of the worst defenses in the NFL to start the season. And in that game, they did not have Teron Matthew. They did not have Frank Clark. And they had not yet traded for Melvin Ingram and they were playing bad defense. They were just horrible. Um, so I think that that was, uh, you know, something to, to factor in. Had they played the chiefs in week 12 or 13, there's a pretty darn good chance. They would not have had that kind of a game against it, that Baker wouldn't have had that kind of a game healthy or not. Uh, and then the second game, it was the Houston Texans and they were basically a mess both offensively and defensively. So, uh, you know, it's not like they played the Rams in week one, right? It's not like they played the Rams after they had Von Miller and you know, that they were humming along, uh, in week one. And then all of a sudden then they came back in week two and played the, uh, bills defense, right? That's not what happened here. Uh, so those, those are some things to keep in mind. And then as the season went along, then the now we know how to defend Baker came into play. And so they started to hem him in a little bit more, wouldn't let him roll out as much um, and, you know, started to take advantage of the fact that, you know, maybe he doesn't get to a second read as quickly as he needs to or his third read. And, and then, of course, the, the whole passing game just fell apart 
Odell's gone. So it was, it was a perfect storm for a bad Baker Mayfield and a bad passing game. And I, you know, if the Browns have to move forward with Baker Mayfield, then they just have to count on the fact that he is going to be healthier. I think for them, that might be 15 to 20% of his woes from 2021. And that's about it. I think fans seem to have that up at about 85 or 90% because of some of these things we're talking about. If you, I mean, you hold up those numbers, pre-injury, post-injury, and everybody thinks, well, obviously, you know, it's factor X, you know, that's why that happened. Well, you know, maybe not so much, but I think that, you know, the Browns probably have that at about 15 to 20%. Then they probably have bad receiving core or underperforming receiving core at another 25, 30%, maybe 40%. Uh, then you've got tackle issues that were another 25%. Um, Kareem Hunt gets a percentage. So all of these things factored in to what transpired. And, you know, I think that they do realize that if Baker is going to come back and it seems right now, I think if you and I had to put a percentage on that, I think we'd probably, I don't know, both maybe be in the, in the seventies somewhere, right? Where would you be about on that? I'd be pretty high just because I'm not sure what right. the solution is. Like that involves Baker moving on. Would you go like 80, 85, 90 or not that high? I'm not going to go that high just yet, but I'd probably be in the seventies. Okay. So I'm in the seventies as well. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's so hard to get your mind around, like what else could they possibly do? But, um, but anyway, so I think they firmly believe that if they increase and improve all of those different categories that they can get him and the passing game to where they need it to be and that they will be okay. That seems to be the thinking. And, and as, as we talk about that too, I, I think it's like, you better have a plan B, right? Because you're kind of banking on all this stuff sort of aligning and all this stuff being the reason, like all those percentages. And, you know, look, the injury did matter. The receiving cord, all that stuff did matter. All, it all mattered. But what you don't want to do is go into next year. And we talked about this on our Super Bowl recap pod on Monday. You know, this team is kind of ready to win they've, they've got that core they've got that young core you don't want to go into next year and realize oh wait it wasn't the injuries in the receiving core and all this stuff it was actually the guy so I, I guess when I say 70 percent I'm saying 70 percent and also a like legitimate plan b yeah you know what and I agree with you on that but that's another thing where like you almost have to wonder what what is the plan b is <laughs> right like is Case Keenum good enough to, to continue to be your plan B. He didn't get much of a chance last year. There are plenty of people that wonder would more of Case Keenum uh, have been beneficial and translated to a couple of more victories last season. I, ha I have a tendency to think that, yes, I think that a couple more games of Case Keenum may have helped uh, not because I think he is, you know, the superstar elite quarterback that the Browns ultimately need, uh, but because, you know, they had such a good defense that they just needed somebody that could play well enough to win games, not lose games for them and kind of hold down the fort a little bit. So I actually think he probably uh, should have played a little bit more, just not because of necessarily injury, uh, but they could have called it what it was. Hey, you know what? We're going to sit Baker down a little bit. 
they could have blamed it on the injury, but it could have been just for sheer ineffectiveness. Like we're just going to give him a week or two to, you know, kind of get it together a little bit, but there aren't that many plan B's, uh, you know, maybe Mitch Trubisky could be a plan B, but I do think that Mitch Trubisky sort of, uh, is on the borderline. We've talked about this before and Doug completely disagrees with me on this, but I think he's on the borderline of coming in here and sort of being a threat to start and a threat to Baker Mayfield in that regard. Uh, so I think he's just like one, one or two rungs below like a Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, that might be kind of weird to, to bring in somebody like that, but I could, you know, I could see it happening. I could see it being in the thought process. And I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. He's won as many games as Baker Mayfield. His winning percentage is better than Baker Mayfield's. His touchdowns, I think, to interceptions are better than Baker Mayfield's. Uh, like Baker Mayfield, he's also taken a team to the playoffs. So, I mean, you just never know, right, If how a situation like that could work out. But you're right. They have to have some kind of a good plan B. And, uh, and I'm sure that it's one of the many things that they have up on their whiteboard is new starter, Plan B. I mean, they really just have to go back and look at our uh, Mayfield matrix thing. And we, we have it all, <laughs> we have it all laid out for them. Well, that, I mean, when I, when I say plan B, I'm all, I'm thinking a guy like that, somebody who yeah. can start somebody who is like a real threat to start. And that doesn't mean you'd have, I mean, you could bring in Mitch Trubisky and say Baker's the starter right, and not right. make it an open competition, but like he would still be a threat, right? Like if Baker struggles, okay, this is Mitch's job. Like that's sort of how I, how I view it. Yeah. It's, it's the Mario to Tannehill thing. Yeah, it is. It is. And, uh, and he really is the name that makes the most sense for that. You know, I can't think of many other guys in that category. I don't know if you can, um, you know, maybe, maybe Mariota is one of them, you know, I mean, maybe he, maybe the actual Mariota example is another one. Uh, but I don't, I don't think there are a ton of guys like that out there that you think you could kind of plug in and just kind of hum along. Um, and even those guys are going to be in demand this season because with so few, so many openings and so few options, the plan B guys are going to end up starting for somebody. Okay. There's another big topic that everybody wants to get to, of course. So what we'll do here is we'll take a break and then when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit of Odell Beckham Jr. And we are back on the Orange Brown Talk podcast, the Hey Mary Kay edition. And Mary Kay, as you could imagine, after the game on Sunday, and we were, we are recording this on Monday, top of mind for our football insider subscribers is Odell Beckham Jr. Some of the treatment he got on the Super Bowl telecast, some of the treatment the Browns got on the Super Bowl telecast. Uh, so let's just, there were like probably four or five just right away that came in about Odell. So we're going to use Scott Mandel from Los Angeles because I think he, he sums it up here. Hey, Mary Kay, how much blame should Odell Beckham Jr. get for his failure in Cleveland? Well, it's funny you should ask that question (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because I wrote a column basically during the game and just a couple minutes after the game saying that he really doesn't deserve the blame for what happened in Cleveland. I think he landed in a very dysfunctional situation with Freddie Kitchens and, and John Dorsey here, and that was the year when Uh, Baker Mayfield, Drew Stanton, Freddie Kitchens, uh, you know, 
Ryan Lindley, the quarterback's coach, they were almost off to themselves in a, in a non-unifying, non-team building way, or at least that's how the receivers felt about it. So there was that. The receivers really never felt connected to the quarterback room that year, and that can't happen. And so uh, there, there was a lot of angst that year. There were a lot of things that just did not go right. Um, so that was that year. Then he has the surgery, core muscle surgery after that, tries to get himself back together. And, uh, you know, he was going to come back and, and really, you know, be committed and do everything that he could possibly do. And he tears the ACL in 2020. And, um, and, and that was, you know, that was huge. So, and that also, I think, is emblematic of the struggles between Baker Mayfield and Odell Beckham Jr. Because if they had been on the same page, he's not tearing his ACL, right? If they're on the same page, they complete that pass or that pass isn't thrown. And Odell Beckham Jr. isn't turning around the other way and trying to make a tackle off an interception. So I felt like that sort of summed up Odell's career in Cleveland was that play. So he worked his tail off to come back from that and seemed like he was going to be committed. Now, Having said that, I was told that he asked to be traded last offseason, the offseason heading into 2021, that he asked to be traded. There's some debate about that, but that's the way that it has been put to me, that he wanted out even then. But once it became clear he was coming back, I mean, they couldn't trade him. They couldn't trade him because he was coming off of a torn ACL. I think the Browns would have happily traded him had he not been coming off the torn ACL and he had some takers, uh, but they, they just could not make it happen. So... You know, I, I just think that it was almost like one calamity after another. And by the time they got to last season and they, they went through uh, the first part of the season together, it was just clear that he and Baker Mayfield were not on the same page and it just kept getting worse. And, um, and it got to the point where Baker, I think, lost trust in Odell and stopped throwing him the ball. And his career was languishing. I mean, he's, he's, he's going in the tank. Odell was going in a physical production and mental tank. And, uh, and that was it. I mean, his, his camp decided we're going to get this guy out of here in any way that we can. And sometimes the camp doesn't even tell the player what the strategy is. Now that might sound crazy to people, but that's how that's truth. Okay. If a, you know, if a team, if a, if a father and an agent and other handlers decide we know he wants out. He's asked out. We got to get him out of here. You know, they, they could have done all these things behind the scenes. And there is a world in which Odell did not know heading into the Odell Beckham Jr. is always open sharing by his dad that he might not, not have known that was going to happen. Um, so anyways, I, I really don't blame him for all the things that went on. I don't think they used him enough. I don't think they targeted him enough. If you bring a superstar receiver onto the football team, you have to be able to handle that. You can't have an elite player like that and you just don't know what to do with him or you can't get him the football. So I don't blame him. I think it was a lot of things. Dysfunction, play calling, coaching, firings, and lack of chemistry between Odell and Baker. So I don't blame him for what happened here. Okay, a question about the situation that got him out of here because that that's certainly, the way they talked about it on the broadcast and, and kind of, Got into this just a little bit in that last answer. Uh, it did rub some Browns fans the wrong way. And Carl from Morgan Hill, California, has this question. 
Hey, Mary Kay, during the Super Bowl broadcast, both Al Michaels and Chris Collinsworth characterized the OBJ situation as if he was discarded by the Browns because they didn't want him. That's not how he remembers it. He wanted out and his silence after his father's video post pretty much confirmed that. Was the Super Bowl broadcast fair in its assessment? No, it, it really was not. It was not. And it was surprising to hear those phrases uh, like he was shown the door and uh, he was put out on the streets, which was supposedly came from Odell's mouth. So what happens is they sit with these players in the production meeting and the player, you know, opens up his soul and tells them, you know, how everything went down and how they feel about everything. So this is how it was portrayed to them by Odell Beckham Jr. Now, his perception of it is, of course, different than the Browns' perception of it. Had they sat down with Andrew Barry for the production meeting, they, I'm sure they would have gotten a different story. Um, but Odell felt like he did want to come back to the team and practice. That's what we were hearing. That's what Josina Anderson was reporting, that he wanted to practice. And they were like, no, you're not coming back to practice. Sorry, that was, that was it. It's over. We're done. Um, so I can see why Odell feels that way, but you know, when something happens the way that it did, when, when it went down like that, there was no turning back from that. You can't go home after that scorched earth situation. So I don't think that they were fair to the Browns on the broadcast at all. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and I think, you know, having, sat and listened to Odell talk, you know, we've, we've all sat in press conferences and we kind of know how he can be when he's, when he's in those settings, I can see how maybe he would have said something like that. And then they say it on the broadcast and it kind of gets blown up. And I'm not, it's not even like a, he was taken out of context thing. It's just, we've, we've heard when Odell talks in the media, he's very, I don't know if dramatic is the right word, but he does he kind of tries to go deep sometimes. I mean, the first time he talked to us when he came back from the injury, he was talking about like spiritual reconstruction and all this stuff. Like that's kind of how Odell is. So I, I can see him saying something like, well, I felt like I was kicked to the curb. Mm -hmm. And then of course they're going to run with that on, on, on the broadcast. Yeah. And, and they shouldn't have, I mean, you know, when you put together a, a Super Bowl broadcast, you have to get the story straight. I mean, you have to do your due diligence and you have to know what the situation was. And to portray it like that, I felt was irresponsible, really. Um, I mean, they even if Odell says those things in the production meeting, you have to give it some context. You have to explain that uh, here's why they felt that they reached the point of no return in that situation, because this thing happened. And, you know, it might not have just been the video, but I think that was a a huge, huge factor, um, obviously, but yeah, they, they did not, uh, they did not treat the Browns right in, in that respect at all. And that, that was not fair by them. And I mean, there's nothing they can do about it now it's over, but I, I was very surprised the way they handled it. So th this brings us to Rhonda in Worcester. And I, I don't know that there's a direct answer to this, but I think this is an interesting topic. Hey, Mary Kay. Whose fault was the OBJ debacle here? It, it feels to me like you can't point a finger at one person. Like there were just a lot of things that went wrong, like you said. And in the end, the Browns just had to move on. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. I think the finger can be pointed in a lot of different directions. Uh, I, I think it's, um, you know, and you can start all the way up with the Haslam's because part of the reason why things were so dysfunctional for so many years and he landed smack dab in the middle of the dysfunction uh, is because they were putting the wrong, still putting the wrong people together. You know, they were still thinking that you could put John Dorsey with Paul D. Podesta, I mean, and Andrew Barry. I mean, like, you know, they thought that they could bring in two completely different kinds of philosophies, you know, an analytics philosophy and an old school philosophy and put them together and think that this was just going to go great. Uh, so I think it starts with the Haslam's. Uh, then I think it moves into, you know, once again, coaching, front office, upheaval, dysfunction. This year, I think it went to some play calling. I think it went to Baker not being good at his job this year. And now in terms of when I, when I said that Odell Beckham Jr.'s uh, lean and dark years in Cleveland were not his fault, I'm talking about the production aspect of it, the fact that he wasn't able to be the elite receiver that he is. That part wasn't his fault. Now, getting out of here and the Odell Beckham Jr. video and not addressing that correctly after in the aftermath of it, you know, he needs to take some blame for that. So the, the crazy departure, everybody had a hand in that from probably his agent, his father, him, um, you know, the Browns, you know, the, the crazy exit, you know, everybody had take, should take responsibility for that because I don't think it needed to come to that. Um, but I do think that that was the, uh, that was the agenda. The agenda was to get him the heck out of here, whether or not he was ready for that or not. Yeah, I mean, we've seen we've seen athletes orchestrate this stuff before. And if, if they want orchestrate might be the wrong word in this. Like you said, maybe it was his camp that orchestrated it. But if they want a voice, they can get a voice, <laughs> especially a guy like Odell Beckham. Right. Uh, you know, like I'll never forget Jimmy Butler when he left Minnesota and he was starting to sort of torpedo things. He had a I mean, there was a reporter that basically flew in the next day and did a sit down with him. Like these high profile athletes can can get this stuff done if they want to. So um, he he certainly could have uh, tampered, tamped things down, I guess, is a way to put it, if if he wanted to. Absolutely. One hundred percent. And he never did. We never heard from him throughout that. And, you know, once again, he had social media. uh, He had every platform or avenue available to him to say something other than, uh, you know, what ended up happening, which was it's time to get him out of there. I mean, if he didn't want to leave, I mean, come out and say that, come, come right out and say that. But I think once again, that this was a, a planned event. And I think that he was being advised by people to just like lay low, we've got this, you know, it's time for you now to kind of keep your mouth shut and let us do our job here. And this is going to have a happy ending for you. So roll with it. Yeah. I mean, look, it worked out. I, mm-hmm. Do you think that there could be long-term ramifications for something like this? Cause we haven't seen, we haven't seen it really take hold quite yet in the NFL where players kind of maneuver their way around and, and get their themselves into a certain situation. This is probably one of the first really high profile guys to do it. Um, yeah. I, I mean, Matthew Stafford, obviously, 
probably won it out of Detroit. It wasn't done in, in quite as high profile a way, but he gets himself to LA to win a Super Bowl. But is there some sort of precedent that, that could be set here with guys seeing sort of what Odell did and, and going and getting a ring in a place like LA? Yeah, you know what? And, and I think we've seen like glimpses of it coming with, you know, DeAndre Hopkins and Jalen Ramsey. You know, guys have really started to take matters into their own hands and say, you know what? We are not just pieces of property. We want to have some say in the matter. Uh, we don't want to feel like we're being traded somewhere where somebody's sending us to die, which is what Odell Beckham Jr. felt that Dave Gettleman did with him when he traded him from the Giants to the Browns. They do want to have, uh, you know, some, when, when they can't hit free agency and they're not ready for that yet, uh, they do want to have a little bit of control. So I think we probably will be seeing a little bit more of this, especially when it is successful. And now, um, you know, now look, a couple of these guys we're mentioning right now, it did have a happy ending for them and they did end up with a Super Bowl ring out of it. So, uh, yeah, I think that, uh, I think you'll probably see more of it and, um, you know, not everybody has the, the name, the flashy name to be able to pull it off or the talent or the skills to be able to do that. Um, but I, I do think there is, you know, is a trend that will be set. Okay, well, we always say it always comes back to the quarterback. So let's bring it back to the quarterback. And Paul J. in Shaker Heights says, Hey, Mary Kay, what if in another world the Browns had made a trade with the Lions for Matthew Stafford? Would they have won the Super Bowl? You know, there's a chance they would have. There's a chance they would have. Uh, because if they had done it before they, um, before the Odell Beckham Jr. thing happened, and they would have had to because the trade deadline was November third, I believe. Um, if they had traded for Matthew Stafford before the season or before then, yes, I do think that there is a, a chance that they could have won the Super Bowl because they did have so many other pieces in place. And if you had Matthew Stafford throwing the ball to Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry, Austin Hooper, David Njoku, you know, Donovan Peoples Jones, there is a world in which the passing game would have been up to Super Bowl standards. So I don't know if it would have happened. I mean, they didn't have Cooper Cup and they didn't have Aaron Donald, although they have, although they have a very close facsimile. Um, but yeah, I think they would have gotten a heck of a lot closer. So there were a couple other questions about this and, and we can, uh, we can wrap it up on this because we, we've talked about the, kind of how this Odell situation impacted the Browns locker room. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, a number of players came out on social media and they've been very congratulatory of OBJ and, and happy for him. And I think for some fans, it's kind of rubbed them the wrong way a little bit to see that. Um, the, the perception is just different, right? How the players see him, I think, and, and how a lot of the more hardcore Browns fans see him. Is there anything to read into on, you know, players, kind of embracing Odell going and winning the winning that championship, or is that just kind of players being, you know, their former teammates, their friends, they've been in the locker room. How do you kind of read that? Well, you know what? I don't think that the two things are mutually exclusive. I think that you can be happy for Odell Beckham Jr. and still support Baker Mayfield and what's going on in Cleveland. I don't think you have to love Odell and hate Baker Mayfield. I don't think that it has to be like that, but I will say 
that I do think that the Odell saga left a bad taste in the mouth of some players. And there was a lingering Odell hangover on the football team. I think it did. Uh, I think it did fracture the team in some ways. I think there were defensive players in particular who uh, felt that we just let our best offensive player go. And now we have a quarterback that isn't going to be able to hang with this defense that we have, which uh, started to allow 16 points or fewer in most of their football games this season and an offense that couldn't score more than 17 points a game. So I think there is a lingering impact of this. And I think that those defensive players are going to have to have some kind of assurance and not necessarily a verbal thing where they are talked to directly about it, but they're going to need to see that they have a passing game and an offense uh, that can match up and complement what they're able to do on their side of the ball, or you're going to have some very angry players next season. Yeah. But I think it's also important. Fans have to remember, like, it's, it's just different. Like this is, this is their workplace, right? I mean, these, these guys, when they show up at that facility, they're going to work every day and Odell Beckham was their coworker. And by all accounts, he seemed like a pretty good teammate. It seemed like guys liked having him around and he got him shoes all the time. And like the, the receiver room would always talk about him and Jarvis and, and what they both kind of meant. So, it, so it seemed like he was a really good teammate. You know, the way he left was a little ugly, but you know, I, I don't know. It, it doesn't surprise me that, that we see it. And frankly, it's not that hard to send a tweet either. So, Right, exactly. But you're right about that. I mean, people always, you know, had the, had the perception or a lot of people have the perception that, you know, maybe that he was selfish or that he wasn't a great teammate, but his teammates, both with the Giants and with the Browns, loved him. I mean, he's a, you know, he's just a, you know, gym rat, football loving, you know, people loving kind of guy. He's gregarious. He dances at practice and helps uh, other receivers figure out how to run their routes and learn an offense. He helps the defensive backs know how to play him. Uh, he's a unifier and he's somebody that always kept things light. I think Kevin Stefanski liked him and wanted to try to make things work with him. I think they identified early on Kevin Stefanski did that he needed uh, to make Odell Beckham Jr. feel valued and worthwhile. Um, and it just, it just didn't work out. But again, I don't think that means that you have to love Odell and hate everything that's going on here, but they do have some things to patch up. Yeah. And that, that, that's the other point too, is watching training camp practices and, you know, the little time we get to see during the season. And when we were in the locker room, the one year he was here, uh, when we were allowed in the locker room, his interactions, you know, this is a guy that it didn't matter if you were Jarvis Landry or, some receiver that was going to be on the practice squad for two weeks. You always kind of saw Odell interacting with those guys. And, you know, we aren't there for everything, but what we could see that this seemed like a guy that was a good teammate. Oh, absolutely. 100%. I mean, he was almost larger than life. He was Odell Beckham Jr. Right. I mean, so guys flocked to him. Uh, they, you know, a lot of the guys, had been fans of his, his, right. uh, for many years. Right. I mean, like in awe of him in some ways, uh, and here they are having a chance to play with Odell Beckham jr. Who, uh, who is an enormous celebrity almost along the lines of a LeBron James. Um, and so they, they did, they, they loved him and it left a huge void on the team, not just on the football field, because it was a huge void to lose your ex receiver, your deep threat, your guy, who can do all the things that we saw him do with the Rams through the playoffs. Um, but just in terms of presence and star power 
And I think when we got to the end of the season and you heard John Johnson three talking about, you know, we just kind of had a rift between the offense and the defense. Well, it, it probably wouldn't have been there if the Odell thing didn't happen. Yeah. Greg Newsom was 14 years old when Odell got drafted, <laughs> which <laughs> yeah. is like right in that, you know, he's that that's right in that wheelhouse. Like he was, I don't remember exactly when the catch happened. Right. But like, that was, you know, he's 14, 15, 16, you know, he's playing high school football. Like Odell is like, Oh my God, Odell. And now he's in the same locker room as this guy. Yes. I mean, <laughs> these guys, yeah, they were fans. They were friends. Uh, they were all of those things. And that's why you do now see uh, so far I've seen, um, you know, Jarvis, of course, but um, you know, Richard and Richard, you know, we always think of Richard as Baker's guy, but he has supported Odell in this more than anybody, right? Almost, oh, yeah. he's been like the number one Odell supporter from the minute the video was shared. He was one of the first people to like it, to support him. Uh, so he's thrown his absolute support behind him. David Njoku has, and these are guys that potentially, uh, you know, you think are going to have to work with Baker Mayfield going forward. Now, some of them are probably going to be gone. Rashard's probably going to be gone. Jarvis is probably going to be gone. David Njoku is probably going to still be here. Um, but there are plenty of guys on, on the team that are expressing their support of OBJ via social media. And I think that it, if nothing else, I think it, it reminds us and tells us why there were some issues on the football team after he left. Okay. Well, this was a tough Super Bowl for Browns fans. That's, that's mm -hmm. what I'm getting from following on social media from our text subscribers. It was either going to be Odell getting a ring or the Cincinnati Bengals uh, and Joe Burrow, who were not supposed to be ahead of the Browns getting a Super Bowl ring. So this was a tough one. It is over Browns fans. We are on now officially to 2022. Uh, Mary Kay, uh, I think that'll do it for this edition of the Hey MK podcast. Make sure you're a football insider subscriber uh, so you can get involved uh, cleveland.com slash browns the blue banner at the top of the page to get info and get signed up we'll talk to you later sounds great <laughs>